Morning Church. I'd like to read this morning from uh, Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth. So 2 Corinthians, and I'm going to read from chapter 10, starting at verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1. Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent am bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence with which I think to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Shall we pray? Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this opportunity to study it this morning. And we ask, Lord, as always, that your Holy Spirit would be present with us to open our understanding to help each one of us, Lord, to draw closer to you through your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the title for what I want to share this morning is Sword or Silence. Sword or Silence. And hopefully it's not complex, but I think it's something that is relevant to us as we try to make our way in a difficult and uncertain world. Now this passage that we read, if you have your Bibles, if you're following it in your Bible, if you look it up later, most Bibles have little sub-chapter headings to give you an idea of what's in the next passage. And in my Bible, before you get to verse 1 of chapter 10, it says, Paul defends his authority. Paul defends his authority. You see, what had happened is Paul had founded the church at Corinth. Corinth was an incredibly important city. It was an extremely strategic, commercial city. There was a lot of trade done there. There was a lot of wealth in the city. It was a very cosmopolitan city. A lot of people were passing in and out of the city. And the church that Paul established in Corinth was in the middle of this. So the believers in that church were living in the middle of a busy, thriving, bustling, cosmopolitan city with all kinds of influences. And so Paul, in his first letter to the church, 1 Corinthians, Paul had corrected in that letter a number of things that word had got back to him, a number of things that people were doing, behaving in the church that were not in accordance with the way in which they should walk as Christians. So he'd written the first letter to the church of Corinth to 
correct those things. But what happened was, there were some people in the church at Corinth who resented the things that Paul had said, the things that Paul was correcting. And so they had started to cause dissent in the church. And they had started to question Paul's authority. What's interesting though, if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 10, is the way in which they were seeking to attack Paul's authority. For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. Now just think about that for a second and let that sink in. These people who did not like Paul's criticism of the sins that were taking place in the church, who resented that and who resented his authority, had started to criticize him and to question his authority. But what is amazing is they didn't seek to question his authority on the basis of his theology or his doctrine or his learning or his knowledge of the scripture. They had started to criticize Paul and question Paul's authority on the basis of his physical appearance. They said, oh, sure, his letters, in his letters, he's strong and he's powerful, but have you seen him? Physically, he, he's weak, unattractive. There's nothing attractive about him physically. And he's not a speaker. He doesn't speak in a powerful way. It's astonishing, isn't it, that they could seek to criticize him and question his actual preaching authority on the basis of those things. But what's worse is that they had clearly found some traction within the church because some people had listened to them. And so Paul was now forced to write his second letter, to the church at Corinth, in which he had to restate the things that he had said and once again stress the important principles by which Christians should live. And then in the letter we get to chapter 10. And in chapter 10, Paul defends his authority. Now, if that was you, and you had been attacked in this way, in a really vicious, spiteful, nasty way. They're questioning his authority on the basis of what he looks like. How would you have defended your authority? How would I have responded? We'd have been angry, right? We'd have wanted to put these people straight, quickly, and probably with a lot of emotion and a lot of heat because their attacks are personal, they're malicious, and we won't stand for that, will we? What's interesting is, when you read the passage we've read, how does Paul defend his authority against these vicious and spiteful attacks? Chapter 10, verse 1. I, Paul, 
myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. That's how Paul responded. Two things about Paul's response. Number one, he responded with humility. He opens his defense, if you like, by saying, I beseech you, I plead with you, I implore you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. He responded with humility. He then, the second thing he did, he responded with a supernatural perspective. He didn't get into the gutter and argue about what he looked like or what he sounded like or whether how impressive or unimpressive he was when you met him. Instead, in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 10, he says this, Look, we walk in the flesh, but we don't war after the flesh. We don't fight after the flesh. We don't argue after the flesh. Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. See, we've talked before about how the cross represents the intersection of the divine, the supernatural, that's the vertical aspect of the cross, with the day-to-day human activities. That's the horizontal. And Paul is saying, listen, this, this isn't about me. I'm not going to fight you in the way that people fight each other. We need to look at this with a supernatural perspective. And that's how he responds with humility. Now, that's difficult, isn't it, to do? Particularly, I mean, we have, a, we have a very successful, on a Wednesday morning, we have a men's Bible study. We're doing it online. We have 16 to 17 people every Wednesday. And at the end, we go around the room and, and we ask for things we can pray for. And, an, and every week, a number of people say, can we pray for healing for this nation? Because there's a lot of hate out there in the world at the moment. There are a lot of people who rightly feel they have not been treated well on both sides of the political divide. And because they feel that they've been slighted, they can react in a way driven by anger. Any one of us can do that. But what we see from Paul's situation here, that despite the nastiness of the attack upon him, he takes a breath and responds with humility and with a sense of the purpose of God. Briefly, I want to look at two examples in the Bible of how people responded when they came under attack. The first is in John chapter 18, verses 3 to 11. John 18, 3 to 11. This is when they come to arrest Jesus in the garden. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the high priests and Pharisees, cometh there with lanterns and torches and weapons. 
Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas also, who betrayed him, stood with them. As soon then as he said, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Then asked he them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I've told you that I am he. If therefore you seek me, let these go their way. That the saying might be fulfilled which he spoke, of them whom thou gave me have I lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus to Peter, Put up thy sword into the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Now in one of the other uh, passages that recount this story, it it goes on to say that Jesus then healed the young man, Malchus, the servant. He had to heal the ear that had been cut off by Peter. Now, on the horizontal level, on a human level, You can understand Peter's reaction. These men had come at night, the chief priests, the officers, all the various bureaucratic people with them. They'd come with soldiers, armed soldiers, and they'd come to arrest Jesus. And Peter in that instance said, no, this isn't going to happen. This isn't right. And he drew his sword and he attacked presumably the person nearest to him, who was this man Malchus, and he cut off his ear. Now we can understand perhaps that reaction. He reacted in the heat of the moment. He didn't really have time to engage his brain, to remember the things that Jesus had taught him. No, he drew his sword, he attacked the person nearest to him. He attacked the person nearest to him because that person was with other people who were attacking him. So he's attacked me, I need to put him down. Understandable, perhaps. But we see three things about the way in which Peter reacted to the attack on him and the ones he loved. The first is that Peter's reaction caused collateral damage. What's collateral damage? That is when you aim to hit one thing and you, at the same time, not intentionally, you might destroy something else. That's collateral damage. Something or somebody is damaged. They were not your intended victim, but they were too close perhaps to the person you wanted to damage. Peter caused collateral damage. This poor guy, Malchus, he was just doing his job. He wasn't the high priest. He wasn't a soldier. He was the high priest's servant. He was a bureaucrat. Probably not paid much at all probably working overtime because it was late and they were in the garden. He'd just gone there because the chief priest had gone there and he had to tag along. And the next thing, he's on the ground, he's lost his ear, he's, you know, he's been grievously injured. Was that Peter's intention? No. Did Peter really set out, wake up that morning and think, I'm going to hurt an innocent person? No. But that, in the the heat of the moment, reaction caused collateral damage. Secondly, Jesus now had to stop what he was doing to repair the collateral damage that Peter had caused. 
because Jesus healed the man who'd lost his ear. Now, we'll see in a moment the agony that Jesus had been in in the garden before the soldiers came. Jesus was not having an easy time of it that night. But Jesus was executing God's will. He knew the grand plan. He knew what he had to go through. But now he's at the stop and he's had to turn his attention to this man and heal this man. Why? Because of what Peter had done. So the second thing we see about this is that now Jesus had to clear up Peter's mess. Okay, you may say Peter's reaction was understandable, but when he's done it, he's hurt somebody, and now Jesus has got to put that hurt right. Third thing about Peter's reaction. Taken to its conclusion, it would have derailed the entire plan that God had for the salvation of mankind. Because God's plan was that Jesus would be arrested. He would be taken to the court. He would be tried and he would be crucified. He would die and he would rise again. So fighting the people who'd come to execute the first part of that plan and and arrest Jesus, fighting them, killing them, and running away from the Garden of Gethsemane to fight another day was not in God's plan. It was counter to God's plan. So we have to be careful when we react in the heat of the moment and in haste. Because if we're not careful, the way that we lash out might, one, hurt somebody and cause collateral damage. Number two, it might mean that Jesus has now got more work to do to to repair the hurt that we have caused. And thirdly, by lashing out in our own ability and in our own strength and in our own anger, we might actually be influencing events against the way that God wants them to go. There's a second example of how somebody reacted when they were attacked. Two quick passages. Mark 14, 60-61. Jesus is now in the court of the high priest after his arrest. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, are you going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Then in Matthew 27, 11 to 14, Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor. That's Pilate, the Roman governor, the most powerful man in the region. And the governor asked him, are you king of the Jews? It is as you say, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. And then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony that they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Jesus has been arrested. He's been dragged away. He's been beaten. He's been insulted. Man after man after man has lined up to make false 
accusations against him. They're lying about him, saying things about him that were not true. And the chief priest listens to all of this and says to Jesus, okay, what do you say to these people? Not a word. Then he goes before Pilate, and they repeat the process. And all the people stand up and tell all the lies about Jesus again. And he's standing there. And Pilate now, the Roman governor, says, listen to all the things these people are saying about you. Respond to them. Didn't answer a word. And Pilate couldn't believe it. How do we respond if somebody says something about us that's not true? That he's hurtful, that he's damaging? Often we'll react in anger. Put that person right. I'm not standing for that. And that reactive capability seems to be so prevalent now in the world in which we live, where people genuinely hold different views politically. They have different views. But it seems we've lost the ability to agree to disagree. That human element, we need to knock that other person down. And we need to do it now. And it's so easy. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter... Boom, 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 boom. That's told them. Jesus, and we're drawing to an end, three things about the way Jesus responded. The first is, he could have destroyed every one of these people. In a split second, every one of these puffed up, self-important, self-righteous, preening, posturing, arrogant, hateful men. In a second, he could have destroyed everyone. He had that power. He had that ability. He could have done it. He chose not to. He didn't react in the heat of the moment. Jesus was born as a man and lived as a man. He had the same instincts and reactions as we do. He, could have, he probably, part of him, wanted to do it, but he managed to take a breath and hold himself quiet, and he didn't do what he could have done. Second thing is, he submitted his humanity to the will of God. Because the will of God was that he would be found guilty, and he would be crucified, and he would die, and he would rise again. So it's against the will of God to get into a fight with these people. Because a fight with these people is so irrelevant to the will of God for his life. We sometimes need, not sometimes, we, and I'm speaking to myself as much as anybody, we need to submit our humanity to the will of God. Sometimes it might feel right and good to get into an argument or a fight. Is that the will of God for our life? The last thing about Jesus' response, his serenity, because he was serene, he didn't answer a word. His serenity 
was based on his relationship with the Father. You see, somebody might say now, well, to respond in the passive way that Paul did or the way that Jesus did, that's cowardly. That's, that, that shows that you're not strong. That shows that you're a weak person. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Because you know the passages. You know when Jesus was in the garden. You can read it in Luke chapter 22, verses 41 to 46. He prayed. He knelt down on his own. The disciples were over here. He went on his own and he prayed to God. And it says he sweat great drops of blood. You know, that's a medical condition. Hematidrosis is, I think, how you pronounce it. It's incredibly rare, but it's a physical condition, and it it occurs when it occurs at a moment of extreme anxiety and stress. And that's what the Bible tells us happened to Jesus when he prayed with his father. The disciples were asleep, and he prayed repeatedly, and he said, please... Please, if there's any other way we can get this done without me having to go through what I have to go through, let it happen. But if it's your will, then I'll do it. So he'd had the passion. He'd had the debate. He'd had the anguish. But he had it in secret, in private with his father. And that's the key. That's how we do it. When something angers us, when somebody really annoys us or irritates us, we should take a breath. We should remember, as Paul did, that we don't fight with the weapons that people fight in this world. We're on a supernatural journey. God has a will, his will for us, and he will perfect that will. He doesn't need us to go smacking heads to get his will done. He doesn't need us to do that. In fact, when we do that, it puts him out because he's going to repair that damage. It's not easy. It's not easy to take a breath and to stay calm when we see something that makes us angry. But I think, as we all pray for healing, healing of the people in this country, and a healing to the divides that are splitting families and splitting friends, we as Christians need to take the lead in this. And we need to follow the advice of Paul. To respond with humility, but with a sense of perspective. And in that moment, when we can react with anger, to take a breath, remember Christ. These things that have angered us so much, take that anger away and deal with it with God. Pray it through with God. Let's try, and again, I speak to myself as much as anybody. Let's try as hard as we can. Next week, when things anger us, people anger us, and we have that instinct to respond, 
Let's try not to pick up the sword, but to stay calm, stay quiet, and take it to God in prayer. Amen. Our dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word and for all that it contains for us. And we just pray, Lord, you would help us to retain a sense of perspective. To not want to fight, Lord, but to be examples, Lord, who can respond in humility. With an understanding, deep understanding, Lord, that our lives are in your hands. And it's better if we leave you, Lord, to work these things out than for us to react in the heat of the moment. We thank you, Lord, because you love us so much. And we pray you bless us. Help us to live as examples and as ambassadors for you. In your precious and worthy name. Amen.